Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Lauren Hall. Lauren, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, happy to have you. So, uh, Lauren, you are in Colorado. Mancos, yep. Colorado? Cortez. Close. Yeah, close. I mean, they're all about the same. So we'll Around the corner, through the woods, a couple roads yeah. down. So, Lauren and I met, I would say, two and a half, three years ago, right? At yep. Camp Abella? Yep. And um, we had the opportunity to ride together for the first time, which Lauren proceeded to tear my legs off while laughing the whole time doing it. Let's just put that into perspective, <laughs> laughing the whole time. Um, but I think one of the coolest things that you've, you, you started your cycling career later, right? Yeah. You didn't, you weren't like, you know, some 12 year old kid out there on their bike, like, you know, racing around the neighborhood. And it, it, it was something that happened when you were in college, right? Uh, later than that, I was 28 years old. Yeah. See, that's so, a huge change. That's a big difference from what I think the perspective is or the thought process is in the world of cycling, right? It's usually a, a starting when you're much younger. Yeah, that would be preferable. But, you know, it's okay that it doesn't happen. <laughs> but I had a glorious 10-year career, you know? So it's it's it worked out perfectly. Um, yeah, and I do have a bit of a, a exercise background. I grew up playing soccer, running track, basketball, and then I actually played on a full ride scholarship at uh, um, yeah at Mississippi State University. So for, basketball. for soccer, for soccer. Yeah. yeah, and then I played semi pro for a year trying to be a professional soccer player. So there is some background. That's not like I was just like the person on the couch and was like I think I'm going to be a professional cyclist. But it wasn't far from that though. Uh, so, so what led you to the bike? Was it part of your training regime for for your your soccer training, or was it just something that you just it looked like a lot of fun and you just said hey let's just try this. Well, I do have a funny story about that too. Is, um, we had a girl on our soccer team from Belgium. Her name was Elka. And she would ride her bike from, you know, uh, around campus to soccer practice. And we would all drive as Americans. We'd drive to practice and be like, Elka, girl, you're crazy. Why are you riding your bike to practice? She's like, that's what we do. You know, I, I enjoy it. It's a good warm up and cool down to and from. And I was like, man, girl, you're crazy. And then fast forward like 10 years, 15 years down the road, here I am racing Tour of Flanders. I see her, we, we reconnect and she's like, who's crazy now? <laughs> That's amazing. It was so cool. She, and she would go to each of the little towns that we would race through and just pick up one of the beers. And I would come home with a little six pack of beer for my coach and for my neighbors. And we'd sit on the porch and just talk about the spring classics. And I think back now of how cool that was like, your neighbor that's a fan of bike racing and then here I am like yeah so in Drentha we took this right turn on a cobblestone and it was crazy and it was raining and snowing and, and drinking a beer from there like that's pretty cool so um yeah so that was a little bit of a segue uh no I so I graduated college played semi-pro didn't make it um we have a common bond I went to culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu in Austin Texas because I wasn't ready to get a job yet, let's be honest. 
I didn't want to go to grad school. And I was like, I need to learn a trade. I knew how to make sandwiches, you know, in college. It was pathetic. I mean, I could boil water. It just, you know, so if anything, it was just this great life skill that mom helped me uh, see through. And, you know, they're like first day, it's like knife skills. You're like, what's this? And everybody else has worked in a restaurant. And I'm like, oh boy, what am I in for? You know, but it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I can talk about that too a ton because I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I started running for exercise because you probably know, I mean, you sit there and you make meal after meal all day and you're sitting there tasting it. And all of a sudden the pounds just kind of, and man, you, they give you the stretchy pants for a reason. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and I, when I think they give you the stretchy pants to tear off. If you oh. get some hot liquid on you, they're meant to like, <laughs> tear down they're not meant for you can get bigger they're actually meant for safety oh okay i missed that part they hand out the elastic band culinary school pit not that it's the norm anymore i think they've gotten away from that granted they they made these pants for you and they were flammable material that you could tear off if you caught on fire which would catch on fire makes no sense but you know (laughs) yeah you could pull them off really fast unless you're me and you gained enough weight you're like these are kind of tight Oh man, that is so funny. Like who did you, so you're doing this, you're in culinary school and you're saying, what's next? Uh, I don't look too far in the future, (laughs) but you know, it's like day after day is like, it was more like what's next culinary class, you know, like baking 101 and oh boy. uh, No, so I just, and I had a dog, we were talking about this earlier. And so I lived in an apartment and I needed to keep him exercised and I needed to lose some weight. So I started running again, just, just to do something. My brother taught me into running a marathon in 2006. So I ran the marathon, the whole family came. It was this great event. It was in Nashville, Tennessee. And from that, I was like, oh, I had the bright idea of I want to do a triathlon. Um, that was kind of silly. Uh, so, you know, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I know how to run. All right, I got this. I just ran the marathon. I got this. <laughs> I'll keep swimming for last because how hard can that be? Uh, which, yeah. Uh, but I need really need to learn how this whole cycling bike thing. So I go into the bike store and it's like the two tiers of bikes, you know, and I'm just like <gasps> so overwhelmed. I don't know. I don't prices, colors, shifters at the time. You know, I know I didn't know what any of that stuff was tires and I did a hot lap. They didn't even, they couldn't even ask, ma'am, can we help you? I was out the door. I was, I was so intimidated. Uh, you know, I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing in here. What, you know, I need to go do some research. So I went to a smaller bike shop and I think the guy sold four bikes. And he's like, this is what you need. And I was like, oh, cool, thanks. So, you know, get up the nerve, buy the bike. And he says, do you know where you're going to go ride? Uh, no, this is me. Do you know how to change a flat? Mm, no. Do you know how to shift the gears? No, I'll figure it out. He's like, well, we do these things called group rides. <laughs> so, and this is back in Mississippi. I'd graduated culinary school, moved back to Mississippi. Uh, I'd gotten married, um, working a desk job. Um, I tried the restaurant thing. I don't know how you guys do it. It's, it's next level. It was way too much for me. Um, and so I'd found this desk job and really was enjoying that. And it's like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then I started riding bikes and doing the group rides, the Saturday, Sunday rides, the Tuesday night rides. And, you know, you sprint for town 
limits and then they're like you know we race bikes too and I was like no that sounds fun and just coming from the soccer background of being part of a team is like that really appealed to me and uh and I was getting fit and so I did a season in Louisiana and Mississippi and then that led to the guys being like hey do you know that women race professionally I was like no I mean I've only seen the Tour de France on TV it's just guys um, and so from there, I think we Googled women's cycling and then the rest, yeah, I got, the rest is history. And I mean, you know, let's, don't be so humble. I mean, the list is deep, the wins, the podiums, and we're not just talking U.S., we're talking all over the globe. Yeah, and again, you know, I thought I'd come out to Colorado, check it out. And I fell in love with Colorado. So as soon as I came out to, to see what it was like, cause I felt like this is where you had to be to be a bike racer here in California and California is way too far from Mississippi. So <laughs> it's far, it's far. It's really far and way different. Um, so I came out and just fell in love with it and I was like, okay, I gotta make this happen. So, I mean, I put my two weeks notice in, I was the 30 day notice at the apartment. I rented a U-Haul truck. I filled it myself. I drove it out, driving through Dallas with a U-Haul behind the truck is, you know, makes you sweat with my dog. You know, it was, it was a big life change, but I was fully committed. Like I just, I don't know, man, I, I just got the bug and it, it was like this whole team thing again, this whole chasing this competition again from, from soccer. I didn't make it in soccer. So I felt like this would be something fun to try mom and dad were like yeah do it this is awesome you know like as long as you have health insurance and I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. what's so yeah, hard about health insurance <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that falls right under the category when you sign the dotted line of like yeah, yeah you get three hundred dollars a week and <laughs> health insurance, no, no first contract zero first pro contract zero dollars second contract ten thousand dollars for the year no way. um and again, so, so the stair step of how it became like such a great career for me was I got on the pro team, check that box. Like, oh my God, I'm finally a professional athlete. You know that when you're on the airplane and people say, what do you do? Do you know how long it took me to be like, I'm a professional athlete? Kind of was like, oh, I'm a, I'm, I'm going to this bike race. Well, what do you do? Well, I guess I race bikes. I'm a professional athlete. And I just was like, oh, it just gave me this like, that feels good. Um, uh, so yeah. And then I started racing the U S and started winning races. And then the national team was like, you want to go to Europe? I'm like, sure. Why not? You know, what's this about? You know, Wait a second. There's cool travel. <laughs> yeah. And again, again, like your circle just goes from like, I'm racing Mississippi. These are the women I need to worry about. Now I'm racing the U S these are the women I'm trying to beat and compete against. And then, hey, do you want to go to Europe? I'm like, whoa, look at all these women and these races. And so, like, I guess I'm, I'm just, like, through blinders a bit of I'm just going down this path. And then the, somebody was like, hey, you want to take a ride? And I'm like, whoa, look at that. Well, yeah, let's go. So, um, and then I kind of think about it. Like, I think I've been on every podium in the United States, every race. That's pretty cool with either myself or the team. Um we, yeah, I'm a three-time national champion on the velodrome and track racing. Um, 
The velodrome is, I think it was a really, really powerful thing, right? You're like the sound of being on the boards or even being in that arena and hearing like the first time I ever saw somebody go around, it's, it's awe-inspiring. And the sound is like a freight train. You don't realize yes. by watching it on TV. And when people are watching the Olympics, they don't understand the speed. And the yep. fact that one, there's no brakes. Yep. Right? They don't understand that like, when you pedal backwards, you go backwards. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Real, right? Yeah. And to be able to do that and, and the embankment and you're curving and you're just, the speed is what brings you up the embankment, but it also is what, that force is what whips you around the corner. And I think until somebody's actually been and seen it, uh -huh. they don't understand the amount of power, energy, and actually danger that's involved. No doubt. And to stand on the inside of the track at the banks and to see that it's three stories high, that's intimidating as hell. And I was in Carson and again, like the first time out there, you're riding around the apron and then you go up to the blue line and then you go up to the balustrade and you're like, what? I mean, it's like a roller coaster ride. It is, you know, I mean, I just, I just get excited talking about it. And then the next hour, here come these kids that are this tall on a bike that's way too big for them. And they're like, yeah, we do this every Tuesday night. And I'm like, how freaking cool is that? You know, I'm just like, you kids have no idea what kind of experience you're having right now. You know, as an adult, 30 year old, and, and I, you know, most people are scared out of their brains. And these kids have no fear whatsoever, because it's just what they do on Tuesday nights. And I'm like, well, isn't, isn't that amazing that that's an option, right? When you go to Europe, that's an option in every town, every town, yeah. or every area has their regional velodrome, right? And the kids yeah. make it a weekend thing, or that's their goal. And cycling is a way of life. And I mean, if you think about it, U.S. cycling has more now during the pandemic become a way of life than ever, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, was what was cycling like in Mississippi? I mean, right. I did not have, growing up in Rhode Island, we rode, I mean, and I'm sure you, you can visualize this, right? You've got five kids laying down and you've got a bunch of two by fours and then <gasps> a piece of plywood. And then you've got somebody on a BMX bike and then there's always a kid watching, which is usually like the cousin that's not daring enough to lay under. Everybody that's laying is covering their groin with yeah. their hand, and you're going to jump them, which ends up everybody goes home crying, right? <laughs> no helmets, skinned knees. That was my introduction to bicycles. And let it be known, I was the last kid in my neighborhood to learn how to ride a bike. Oh. The last one. I had training wheels on a dirt road. Like I was the last <laughs> one, which is kind of funny that I ended up doing what I'm doing now. But when you think about that, and then I think about like, what was, I mean, cycling, road cycling was not huge in Mississippi, was it? You know, it's, it, it, I, I get that question a lot. Wait, Mississippi, really? And, you know, there are a pretty good number of group rides there. And there used to be a race called Tour de la Fleur. And that was, yeah, where you had to qualify for the Olympics. And so I'm going through some of my old stuff and I'm pulling up a newspaper or whatever. And there's Tour de la Fleur. I'm like, before I even knew, you know, I'm worried, I'm chasing soccer balls and basketballs. You know, what do I know about cycling? But, um, you know, it's not, of course, it's not as big and as not well known as some of the other states. But um, no, it's, it's still cool to go back. I've started a cycling program at an elementary school there. So just 
to, again, you know, what a gift. Uh, I just think about, man, how lucky or how, what would have been different or maybe it wouldn't have been different, but just to have another option that somebody that doesn't have eye-hand coordination, somebody that may be socially awkward and not used to being around other people or knowing how to communicate, what a gift that is, is that this sport that we have, um, you don't have to have anybody else to do it with. You can do it by yourself if that's your thing or time-wise, you can do it whenever you want. So I did a race, I did a, a mountain bike race this past weekend and I raced with a couple of 19-year-old gals from Durango. Dude, oh, they're so good. But I'm just thinking like all the high school league stuff that's going on now and some yep. of the stuff that now I work for USA Cycling, what we're doing. And it's just like, I'm just so excited for these people. Like these two girls that I was talking to, they're going to worlds. They're going to Italy in two weeks to mountain bike worlds. And I'm like, do you know that, that's just such a gift? Like that's, they've never been to Italy. They've, they're racing world championships. So they, so again, my bubble of Mississippi, Miss, United States, and then the world, like, boom. They're going from Durango to the world stage with some of these people, competitors that they'll see for the rest of their lives. And I'm just like, ah, I'm so excited for them. I, I don't know. Can you tell I'm stoked for them? So I, you, I love the sport. Man. You, you've gone from being a racer to now working with USA Cycling, right? And, and I think, how does it feel to be on the other side of the boards? And I think that's really an important thing, right? So you've, you've been in the velodrome, you've raced on the road. Now you're mentoring the next generation. You're commentating races. Um, I mean, look, I'll say it. You don't have to agree with me. Don't turn red. But you set a standard, right? You inspire so many, you know, men and women to follow their belief that they can do something, right? They see, they look to you and they say, holy shit, she chose to do this. And she made it happen because she put her head down and made it happen. And I think the way that you just explained how it happened makes complete sense to me because you put on the blinders and you focused in the moment and you went from Mississippi, then you opened up the blinders a little bit and then you went to the US and then you opened it a little bit bigger. And then you, so you focused on your moment and then you beat that moment. And then you went to the next moment you did it in phases. And I think that's an inspiring way for this next generation to look up to and to learn from because a lot of times everybody just wants to be the best to get to the top, but it doesn't happen that way. No and way. That I think right now is the benefit of having you be a part of USA cycling is really mentoring this next generation in a new way, because you can't make it to the top without working hard to get there. And you chose a path and it was a very distinctly unique path that had you hyper focus and then expand your focus and I think that's a really interesting way to explain it I don't even think you realized that I you did it that way but I see it from the outside as you know like I, I know how fast you are I know how fast you were when you raced because I mean I've seen you race in different places so for me to hear this really shows how you did it in it from an outsider's perspective and I think people need to hear that people need to hear and see and I think how does that feel now being, having retired from racing? Well, granted, not really. You're out there mountain bike racing now. All well, of a sudden. That, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wasn't ever going to race again. And I'm pinning numbers for fun. <sighs> but I mean, you know, it's, but it is fun, right? It's like, yeah. 
now you're only racing against yourself. You're pushing yourself to your limits, right? You're doing new things. But how does it feel to now be part of the organization that helped you get to where you were and where you wanted to be? And how does it feel now to be able to give back to that next generation and kind of guide them to their dreams? Well, that's people, again, now the question is, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so I guess I'm a former professional athlete and now I work for USA Cycling Foundation. And I tell people I'm still... I have the dream job. I get to ride my bike. I get to talk about bike racing and I get to go to cycling events and talk about bike racing and, and, and these athletes. And now again, the focus widens because when it was road racing for me, women's road racing, now it's men's road racing. It's BMX, it's BMX freestyle. It's the velodrome, it's mountain biking, it's cyclocross. And, you know, now and juniors and the U23 women and men and, and not just the elites. So, again, it just my world keeps expanding <laughs> and I absolutely love it to to see Ivan Sippy from Durango win this small race this past Saturday and then to know that he's going to world championships and he's like making these steps and you can see the progression and you're like this kid just wait like Paris 2024 or it's just like I'll be one of those old people that is like I remember racing against Ivan when he was racing in Dolores Colorado um and I I just love it like um you see some of the aha moments um I met a girl her name was Paige and just her and her dad or again came down here for this bike race and she kicked my ass and it was the coolest thing and she's a freshman in college and I'm just like yes that's so rad and then and in the same regard I'm like teach me how to drop down that rock thing you did you know and, and she's just like what she didn't even think about it and, and then I, on the other side I can be like well look these are the steps that you should probably take to be a better athlete or to try and get to the Olympics or you know whatever your goals are so I love it. I love it. And that's where I have this, like, I want to do it all. I want to, I want to commentate more. I want to direct every team that asks, but you know, it's just like, uh, I can't do it all, but I want to so freaking bad. So just, I don't know, just trying to balance that life is that part tricky, but, um, you know. Yeah, that keyword balance, I don't think is really feasible anymore. I still try to figure that out. I still yeah. have figured that out. You've yeah. talked to my wife, you know, balance doesn't work in my world. Um, I'm getting there, right? Slowly, but surely. So if, if you think about the, I mean, the enthusiasm and the elation that is on your face when you talk about cycling is unlike anybody's, right? Like it just exudes through you, but it's, Cycling is a way of life. And I think that that's a really important thing to, 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 for the public to understand. Like, it's not just, I race my bike or I raced my bike. It's like, I enjoy racing my bike. I enjoy training for racing, or I enjoy riding my bike because it gives, there's a solace in suffering for a certain amount of time, knowing there's an end means. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Right. And I think, um, what really makes it so much fun, I think, at least for me, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for you, it's that ability to 
find in yourself what really, really matters when you're out there. Cause you, there's a lot of self-reflection when you're on the bike. That is so true. Um, and I also think about the gift that cycling has given me one, it's shown me the world. It's introduced me to people I would have never have met otherwise. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I, I, you know what I'm saying? This is true, right? When else have we would have met? I mean, we wouldn't have. Um, I know. She like sends me weird pictures and says, do you want to cook this weird thing? I shot in the backyard. <laughs> it's an alligator. It's a possum. No, I can't cook an alligator. Possums are not tasty. They are not good. And I don't care how many your dad shoot. I am not going to teach him how to cook it because he will get a cootie or a bug from it. No way in hell. You'll have to like add that to the podcast somewhere of at least a couple of those videos for reference, you know, you know, in the South, we do things a little different. We got to just get what we can get and be thankful for the food that's on the table, Chris. <laughs> I do not believe that one bit. You can eat red squirrel, but you can't eat its head. You know, there's certain things you can do out there, but there are certain things you should not eat. Alligator is good though. I will admit, I will yes. admit. It's so, yeah. There we go. Oh, okay. So also on that note, if you want to go alligating, alligator hunting, we've got two tags. So come on. Oh boy. You gotta kill. Well, look, I mean, if we're gonna be eating it, we gotta oh, show. Oh, I know. It. Trust me, I have no shit. I've got no fear of that part. I just definitely those things, they're big and mean. And I know. And it takes a forklift to get it out of the water or out of the boat. It's that no. big. Some of them are that big. Yes. Then, then I don't think no because I'm not that big. Yeah, anything that's yeah, that big, you leave alone. You leave alone. You Look, do. see, this is this is just like somebody looking at one of the canyons that you climb up all the time, and it's like I can't do that. I don't think I want to do that. That scares I'm me. I'm not saying I can't <laughs> get it. I'm saying it's too damn big, and if you make a mistake, you're dinner. And I don't need. Oh, I don't want to no, fall no, no. on the low end of look. We're, we're here on the food chain. When you start mucking about with things like that, then you go yeah. here on the food yeah. chain. I do not want to be below the black line on the food chain because that means I'm dinner, right? And I'm sure a lot of people are really, really pissed about that. Like, don't go hunt bears. Don't go. Don't go hunt elephants. Don't go hunt big things. Yeah, no. Leave them alone, unless no, it comes into your yard and takes your dog. Then don't go after it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, but no, we digress. <laughs> we went from bikes to alligators. Alligator hunting, possum hunting. Well, that's because, you know, that's the, that's the way we roll, you and I. I, I think there's, oh, somebody's ringing my doorbell. Um, they can wait. I can actually, you know, with these new things nowadays, you can get on your phone and, and say. Hey, man, I'm trying to do a podcast right now. Yeah, I think somebody's leaving me. Let's see who it is. Oh, yes, guy. So I think, so I, yeah, see, I can't even edit that out. Now I look like a ding dong because <laughs> I'm being rude. But, um, you want me to pick my nose yeah. now? What? No, I'm not going to do that. No, no, you don't do those things. So, if you, okay, here's a question. Shoot. Since you bring up picking nose, the women's Peloton does snot rockets too, don't they? Oh, heck yeah. See? It's yeah. equal opportunity. Everybody does a snot oh, rocket. Yeah. And okay. Pro tip. If you have grease or a booger on your hand, there's two places that you can wipe under your armpit or in your crotch. Cause usually the shorts are black and right there on the seat. 
okay? Because one, when you're riding, nobody ever sees it. You don't, don't wipe it here. Don't wipe it on your shorts. Don't wipe it here. People see this. Armpit, crotch. That's proper, proper pro tip for all you folks who have sponsors on your shoulders or on the front of your jersey. Do not put a booger across. No grease, no boogers, okay? <laughs> learning curves, <laughs> learning curves with Lauren. We also, uh, the Peloton is known to talk shit, to cuss each other. I think I know every cuss word in every language. Um, but then off the bike, we're usually pretty cordial and friendly because we're competitors and we are also professionals. Um, and it's a small cycling world. So, you know, me on the bike is a completely different person than me off the bike. So, you know. I know that. I know that. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that when people get squirrely on the road driving and we're riding together. That's where, that's where, that's where Peloton Lauren comes out. Yeah. Yeah. When we but get mostly, I hope, I hope whenever I'm around anybody nowadays, when I'm not pinning numbers is like, I'm here for the stoke. I want people to be happy. I love your event because you convey that from like start to finish of have fun we all are going to ride bikes and it's going to be great. You're going to have a good time. And like, that's, that's what it's about now. It's like, I mean, racing's over. I don't miss racing. People ask me when I go and commentate or, you know, show up at the mountain bike race. Uh, I mean, honestly, I was just having fun. I, and that's all I want to do now is just have fun. And I want anybody around me to have fun. Um, again, like everything that cycling has given me, I want to give back tenfold. So that's, so yeah. When you're, and I think this is a really, this is a question that I think there's hundreds upon hundreds of people, there's thousands that watch the Tour de France, right? And there's always that question because people ask me, what is it like to ride in a Peloton like that? I have no idea. One, I've never raced in the pro Peloton like that. And two, I haven't ridden my bike in France. And three, I'm not going to ever get that close to somebody because the last time I did, I had one of those epic Oh no. Oh yeah, the person, two people in front hit the brake, then that guy hit the back and then front tire. And I actually had a tire print right across my chest. You could pick the <laughs> brand of tire. It was pretty amazing. Like it looked really good. It was oh, there for like three awesome. weeks. I just held it up and put, do you know which brand of tire this is? If you figure it out, I'll send you a pair of tires. But how, I mean, we're talking high speed, yeah. really close quarters. And I, and I want people to really understand like, Ultimately, cyclists are riding in glorified underwear, aka superhero costumes, right? Oh, yeah. And you're on average speed in the Peloton. What are you looking at? And and like, you could give an idea. And and like, how close quarters is it really? Yeah, at twenty plus miles an hour average speed. Um, you always get the question: How fast have you ever gone on a bike? it's had to have been at least over 60 miles an hour because we do 54 miles an hour on the group ride here in town and we're spread all over the place coming down the mountain. So, you know, the Peloton pulled you along a lot faster when you're a lot tighter and closer and racing. Um, and again, when you get to travel all over the world, everybody's like, wow, that's so cool. But at the same time, for example, tour New Zealand, we flew from Phoenix into New Zealand. I couldn't tell you where. Um, got to the hotel, kitted up, fell asleep in our kit. The teammates had to wake us up to go to the race, to start the race, did the race, you know, 
four or five days of racing, got in a bus, went back to the airport, flew back to the States. That's it. When you're racing, you're worried about that space, that left, right, front, center, because we're, I mean, you literally, I mean, just about the whole day, you're kind of just bumping somebody, you know, it's not like you're, you know, like what we ride now, it's, you know, you can, you can look at each other and talk. No, I mean, it's, you can, you're just touching each other all day. So it's that close. You're side-eyeing basically, if you want to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah. take your eyes off the road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think you're less than a you're less than a hand from the person next to you. Yeah, and that's what you can't really see on TV. Um, you can almost when they do the aerial shots of the Tour de France, and you I can see somebody make one small maneuver at the front of the peloton, and it just ricochets through, and you won't be able to see it, but I can see it happen. And then I'm already looking back here at this person, thinking they don't know what's about to hit them. And it's just this whoop, 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 whoop. You know, we're a school of fish and we just kind of react. And I'm a smaller person. So there's women in the Peloton that are taller and bigger than me and I can't see around them. So you're just kind of going on blind faith because it's not like you're going to look at the course and know in 5K or three miles, you're going to turn right. You don't have a clue because you're just, you just flew in, you know? So it's, it's a lot. And you don't really get to see a whole lot when you're racing. I mean, you're just, you're there to race. You're not there for a vacation. You're there to work. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that is that glorified visual of what bike racing is about. Like you train hard yeah. and then you have down days. People are like, oh, you want to go out and have drinks today? No, today's my off day. I need to put my legs up. I'm not I'm not going to have to eat. And there's, it's the same thing with the chef's life, right? Like everybody says to my wife, oh my God, it must be great. He cooks dinner for you all the time. He's always home. I mean, now is different. To give you an example, I've spent more time with my family since COVID than I had in 10 plus years. Yeah, I get that. Totally get that. Same. I, I, man, that's crazy. I, I, and I don't think people- yeah, do, you, do you cook at home or you're just I like- I cook home all the time. I mean, since pandemic, I cook every night. I cook breakfast, I cook lunch, I do whatever. And never I think- I, I order out. Yeah, we, you know, cause it's like, you know, I have a 16 year old and he goes, uh, can we get something different tonight? Because I'm kind of tired of you cooking. I'm like, yeah, sure. So it's like, but that's fine. Because that's, you know, that's, he's used to variety. I mean, we live in San Francisco. We have that luxury of having incredible Asian food. We have, you know, incredible Latin food. I mean, everything is here. Chinese food, you name it, I can get anything I want. But to me, it's also fun going to the farmer's market and cooking, right? Oh, yeah. But I think the the bigger picture is, is that people look at it and have a glorified vision of what it is. Yeah. And yes, you got to go to New Zealand, but you saw the inside of a bus. You saw the inside of your eyelids when you landed. You slept in your chamois. That's awful. <laughs> the fact that you slept in your chamois, thank God it was before the race and not after. But come on, give it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take well, it. But I, I get it because you're exhausted. Yeah. And you literally know if you don't get dressed now, you ain't going to make it to the start line in time. Okay. No and I think that is a, that is a really relevant part of, I think the sport, like there's these, I think the young generation needs to understand that. And that is what you have the opportunity to share with them that it's, it's a full-time job. It, yeah. And a lot of what athletes or influencers now post is all the happy-go-lucky stuff in it. Oh, we get a coffee shop ride. Oh, we get this big meal. 
but I also, at the end of my career, I finally got on Instagram and, you know, I posted a photo of me like hunched over my bike after doing intervals. I think I had somebody else actually take the picture because I, like I physically couldn't pick my arms up. And I was like, this is what training is. It's not the coffee shop rides. It's not the, ha ha ha, we rode six hours and now we're going to eat this glorious big meal. And no, I mean, God, the amount of times I ordered out because I was too lazy to cook because my legs hurt and because I was tired of standing up and really all I wanted to do was go to sleep, but I was starving. <laughs> I can't tell you. I mean, that's, but, that's, but that's, it was so worth it though. I don't, I don't want to take away, but I mean, that's, that's what it took to win getting Webble Gum, okay, you know, or to be ready for the Jura Rosa or to, to do world's team time trial or to be ready for road worlds. Like, yeah, that's what it took, but I wouldn't change it for a, a penny because it was just, it's what you got to do. I got to go out and check that box of working my ass off. And I, you know, I know you understand this because okay. you, yeah, you see the fruits of your labor and it's, the coolest thing and like the cycling team was my family and I would bleed for those ladies and I, I loved them to death every one of them and you know I know you know this and so it just yes that it is hard as hell to be a professional bike racer but the the payoff is like I've got friends now all over the world and I've traveled all over the world and I've met some really great people and I've been in some really cool places and I'm, yeah, it was worth every shitty training day in the snow, rain, wind. Yeah. It was worth it. That's actually a really good point because I don't think people realize that like, so season starts, let's just, let's break this out. Okay. Race season starts in the spring, but the U S version of spring is very different from the European version of spring. <laughs> Well, and you could even say there were a couple of years that we started in Australia in January at Cadell's Great yeah. So, I mean, you'd go over to Australia, let's just say that year, we went over in January and you're, she's like, well, here we go. I mean, you're not, you're not top fit. No, I mean, you just got, let's just break that part down though. Before you even get to January, yeah. normally your season ends, if you're not going to do cross, your yeah. season would end October? If you go to world September. Okay. Okay. Let's just say hard stop September 15th. Right. Yep. And then you taper down and then you get a Christmas. That is the time where you're actually allowed to eat. You can have a few drinks and you can stay out late, maybe go dancing a couple nights and then it's over. Right. It, it's, it doesn't last even through, it doesn't usually last through January 1st. Right. You don't even make it to new year's because you have to start training. You, you need to back up even further. And, and I will say, you said we get to eat look I, I i never missed a meal and i always you know what i'm saying though there's a i know but i don't want anybody to think because there's a lot of eating disorders already nope. in the sport, i'm but... talking about the training eating yeah. compared to eating for enjoyment yeah exactly i mean there's, there's different definitely... styles of eating and i think yeah. that's a really valid point that you brought up you know there's definitely this thought process that you have to starve yourself to be a professional cyclist and that's not true you actually your body processes uh, calories so much faster when you're racing and when you're training at that level you basically have the metabolism of a hummingbird yeah. so the amount of food you're intaking is really important but it's also important exactly what you're intaking instead yes. of going out and having a cheeseburger you're looking for a certain amount of protein <laughs> a certain amount of carbohydrates complex carbohydrates simple carbohydrates complex sugars complex proteins 
to balance out your diet so you're replenishing your muscles. Whereas when you go out and have a cheeseburger, you just want a cheeseburger and fries. And that's a different thing. So to go back to that conversation point, I think like you're not going to have a traditional Thanksgiving with everybody. It's a much smaller volume. Exactly. Yeah. Christmas is a different story. That's when everybody does their cheeseburgers with fries and (laughs) their milkshake. And that is your like Christmas gift to yourself. And you're like, okay, that was it. Training's in. Back to it. I'll, I'll break down a, a, a year for you for, for me and let's start in October. So let's say that I took some years only took two weeks off, like off the bike, like no bike at all. Two weeks. That's it. Other years, it was a full month. Okay. So let's just say it was October off and I started riding again. I'd start Nordic skiing here yep. and riding the trainer because it was snowing. All right. Up until Thanksgiving. And then Thanksgiving, it was time for me to actually properly start training again full time. So I would drive to Tucson and that's where I wintered uh, most of my career if I wasn't at the velodrome or racing cyclocross. Um, So I would go down to Tucson and a quick trip home for for Thanksgiving. Right. And like you said, like pretty minimal. I'm still training at home. I'm still lifting weights, riding, uh, tired already. Um, but still trying to do the family get together with the corn, whatever, pudding. <laughs> corn pudding and stuffing. Extra yes! <laughs> All these delicious things that you desperately want to do, but you're only allowed a smaller portion. Right. Um, all right. Train and this is just long endurance with, you know, a little bit of stuff in there during, uh, through December. I mean, like a little bit of effort, not, not just base miles all right go home for christmas come back race in australia hurt like hell come back go to team camp in february go over for the spring classics the end of february up until the end at that time for me it was flesh alone that was like the last spring classic it was the climbing race it was so great because you actually had a little bit of room in the peloton because the climbers joined in um and that was uh, so then we'd come back to the States and that's usually around April. And then the spring here starts and we would be in beautiful, sunny California or down in, oh, it was glorious or Silver City, New Mexico. And we start chill and it's just like, ah, oh, the roads are so big. Oh man. I'm like, California, you jerks. Um, and, uh, and then the season would run all summer all across the U.S. and back to Europe for some of the stage races. Um, and then it, w- it usually slows down in like August because just racing, just not there. And then we would be prepping for Worlds in September. There's your year. So in that timeline, how many races or how many days would you be racing? Not training, racing. Full gas. You know, I never counted. I've, ha- I've had that question before. I need to actually add it up. but It's a lot. It is your home. I, one year I didn't have a house or I was renting. I, didn't, I, didn't, I put everything in storage and I lived out of a suitcase for a year because we were on the road that much. And there, there are some people that just have like their suitcase always packed. And that's just what they wear on the road, whether, cause usually like the team gives you the casual clothing, the shoes, like you get head to toe off the bike on the bike stop, which is rad. So at the same time, you never have to unpack a suitcase. All you have to do is wash the clothes, repack it, and just have it there because you're not home that much. But, you know, 
we yeah what yeah why not when you're younger and you can and just do it it does suck I mean eventually that's kind of one of the things that started to crack me was the amount of travel because you sit on those planes and it's just bad for your body it's bad for your posture you've been on the bike all day or you may have road rash oh my god we were flying back from Argentina I can't imagine uh, road I, rash on a plane yeah. oh, you can't and, get comfortable with that there's no way you can get comfortable I don't care how many tucks, medicated pads, how many, you know, <laughs> a, a donut ring, hemorrhoid pad, like yeah. input, that nothing's going to make you feel comfortable if you got road rash. Nothing. And you're sweating because your metabolism's going, you're sitting beside somebody else and you're kind of just like, I just, I just want to be at home. You've got your bike bag, you've got your roller bag, you've got your backpack and it all, everything hurts. And you got to take that shit yourself. You know, no, no team is going to, you know, take that stuff through the airport for you. So yeah. that's you're again, your, that part you're on your own. You want to, yeah. you want to, you want to ride your bike, you got to carry it. I'll fill yeah. it when you get there and I'll maintain it for you. But I, you right. carry it. Right. So, yeah. But again, like uh, I, these, there's some really great stories from all that too. And I've got some best friends that, you know, we can now laugh at some of that stuff, but at the time it was, you know, it sucked, <laughs> but. So when you were, when you were, you so, those stories? oh man, I'm sh- I, I, I'd love to hear some of them, but <laughs> okay. I, got I, some questions. I got some questions here. When you were racing in the U S who was your, your number one competitor that you like, like you said, you started, you know, in Mississippi, and then you branched out, and you're like, oh, man, now I got the U.S. I got to do battle with. Like, yeah. who were you, like, always side-eyeing, like, no. all right, where is she? Where is she? Uh, who well, was that for you at that point? Yeah, so I was a sprinter, so there was Shelly Olds. She, I think, um, she was trying for the Olympics back in 2012. Uh, Teresa Clifron, she beat me at Crit Nationals by bike throw. Um those two were the big big hitters um but then it came down to like you know you race as a team and most of the time I was on a team that had a really good climber GC rider so it was you know the usually a stage race kind of the time trial sets the stage and sets the race as how we're going to play this out and then it was just basically like trying to race teams so um but when it was me solo it was whoever was the sprinter was that I knew at the race um and yeah you it's just it's just the entire race people have no idea the entire race you're kind of like you kind of following each other and keeping an eye on each other and covering and it's yeah uh, people all only thing people see is like whoever won the race or whoever's on the front the longest so there's so much that goes on inside that peloton inside your head for and i think that's a really 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 important part i mean cycling is like a game of chess right yeah there's it's not a solo endeavor there is a whole squad of people that are working together. Whether it's a men's or women's team, there's a full squad. There's specialists for climbing. There's specialists like yourself for sprinting. Then there's domestiques. There's super domestiques. Everybody has a role to get from point A to point B with as many of you being as safe as possible, right? The role is to get everybody there in one piece, to get as many of you in the top numbers as possible for team classifications but also to get your sprinter across the line first for a sprint. So you have a lead out train or to, like you just said, set up your time trial to set up the precedent for the rest of the week in, in, a, in a stage race. I don't think people realize that 
there's all, I mean, yes, people watch the Tour de France and they watch these races on TV. I, and a lot of the public, I don't think, understands how much detail goes into it, how much conversations going in prior to the race and like what you guys are working on. It's pretty heavy duty. Or how much conversations even ha happening within the race. People would ask me, um, you know, your teammates are all over the Peloton. How do you talk to each other? Well, one, you have a radio most races. And then two, you literally kind of look at each other and be like, hey, I need to talk to you. And you'd get two by two in the race and have a conversation, you know, or you throw an arm around so people can't hear and or different languages are used. I mean, yeah. So you, you have a tactic and a race plan pre-race. You have A and B. You have a team captain that's on the road that's going to say if we're going to continue according to plan. Uh, and then you have the director that's driving in the car that is in your earpiece. And, you know, all these conversations are going on. And then you can also fade back to the car and literally just have a conversation at 30 miles an hour with the driver, director, you know, like, so I think this plan's not working. I think it's okay. Okay, give me a bottle. I'm going to go back up and talk to the girls. <laughs> and that's how I got my very first pro contract was I could go back to the car, take my hands off the bars and get bottles and bring them up to the, to, to the riders. Like you're saying a domestique, like that's the most thankless job that I think they should get paid the most. <laughs> well, I think that's, I mean, you, you're bringing up a really good point. I think these, those, the domestique is like the line cook right in a restaurant. Yeah. They are there facilitating, they're expending every ounce of energy they have to get their leader to the finish or leader yeah. is plural, right? Whether it's a sprinter or a climber and they're there to help, whether it's go back and fetch water bottles, like you said, you know, you're putting those water bottles and you're, I mean, and I think this is a really interesting thing because riding with no hands is already hard, right? For a lot of people. Now do it at 30 miles an hour and somebody's handing you water bottles and right, you're sticking them in the back of your jersey down here, right? You don't have enough pockets. You got three pockets in the back. How many bottles do you care? Usually, what, one per rider, right? Yeah, well, and you've got a team of seven. So you got six or seven, you know, if yeah. you put your own in your blank and you got them all in the back and then they hand you some food to hand out or maybe the food's attached to it. And then you have to sprint from the back all the way back up to the front and have to find your teammates. It's like herding cats, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. You have to find them and then hand them their water bottles on top of being in the middle of a Peloton and taking yeah. it. That is very serious business. It's this dance. It's this cool dance that happens. And even there's even the race within the cars because you go back and you have your bottle and you hold it up or you say, hey, I want to feed. And it's up to the, the race judge, the, almost like the referee that says, okay, Lauren's car can come up first. There may be three of you back there doing the exact same thing, knowing that there's a climb coming up. I mean, there's so much, like you said, it's just all strategy of I'm going to try and feed my riders as soon as possible before this climb comes up. One, I don't want to carry an extra seven pounds to them up the Peloton, right? And find them and pass out bottles and everybody's happy. And then two, yeah, I want to get back up to the front, give those bottles up so I can then continue my job of covering people that are trying to attack or get my person in the best position. So uh, yeah, that's the, that's the other fun part. And I'm just, I would always love going back to the cars because I don't know, it's just something about just having that one-on-one -on -one conversation. I can't hear well, I can't hear what's in the earpiece anyway. And just that eye to eye contact of talking to your director and like, are we good on this still? Yeah. Okay. And then, 
and then I'm a, I'm a giver. So yeah, like you said, it's just, it's just like the line cook of like, you want to do your job to the best of your ability, because that's what, what's going out, you know, on that plate is your work and you want to be the best every single time you want to win every single time. So that's a good analogy. I like that. So <laughs> is now, pertain to food? <laughs> every, I think every world has a connectivity to it. Yeah. Like, you know, they all, every work load, no matter what it is, whether it's a sport or whether it's in a kitchen or wherever, there's always going to be those intersections of similar, similar tasks and similar roles. They just have different names. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. of all the events that you've done, right, of all the races, you know, I know there's been some very special ones for you. What has been the one, and it doesn't have to be one that you've won or your team has won. What has been the one that just really sits in your mind the most? It could have been the most awful day in the world or, and I'm sure you have some doozies, right? We all know about there's, there's doozies out there when you're on the bike. And for me, I look at, you know, when you race the spring classics that start in February, it's still fucking snowing over there. You guys are racing yeah. in, I like to call it hell because watching it, it looks like hell. I live in California. I grew up in New England, so I know what snow is. I know what sleet is. I know what crappy rain is, but I don't ride on cobblestone roads, you know? So not only is it raining and snowing and shitty, you're riding on cobblestone roads and there's horse shit and cow shit. It's all there. So, I I mean, I love the classics. They're my favorite. They always will be. Um, I think it's a very special time of cycling. You really have to be a special person to really love those moments. Um, as an athlete and and I'm curious as to is the classics your favorite is it you know the Giro Rosa is it some of the races in the U.S. like what was what are the ones that really are those special special things for you okay so yes Tour of Flanders is by far one of my most favorite and I I try to compare it to NASCAR and the Super Bowl in one weekend like put that all together that's Tour of Flanders because you've got like every RV with their barbecue pits and you can smell it. And I, I can distinctly remember going up the Quermont, hating my life because it is so effing hard, pulling on the bars, just it's so steep. And there's just a line of people and I can smell the cigar smoke from this fan, you know, and, and just having this moment of, I can't hear anything because it's so loud. I can't hear myself breathing. And, you know, the cigar smoke, the barbecue smoke, the, the noise, the smell of beer splash. And, and it's just, it's just the coolest thing. Like there's a sportif the day before and you have every cyclist known to man out there doing those, that same course, like beginners, people walking up, people racing up it. And it's just this highway of cyclists. And you, I just like, this is the coolest freaking day in the world right now. This is the neatest thing. So Flanders is definitely up there. Gent Webblegum because I won it and it was a very special day being a part of that team and what it has given me. The Jura Rosa was very special because honestly, that was one of my easier races I've ever done. I was a sprinter. All I had to do was get more to the climbs and then we could sit up, job done. You know, it was- (laughs) That's nice. Dude, she did all the work and it's one of the biggest races in the world. We were all on the same game plan. Like we didn't have one misstep. It just went smooth. It, it was amazing. Um, 
and then, and then the the everything that comes with the Jura Rosa, like the pink everything and the champagne and the pictures with the police and that was a pretty special moment but because that was a great team we were all on different teams we came in as the national team and her winning with usa cycling like it just was special um and then in the u.s my last two years on united healthcare i don't think we lost a race um and doing tour of california with katie hall you know that's where she lived and uh uh, I, I have two jerseys on my wall that um, the team signed for me and wrote a note to me. It's very special, uh, very dear to my heart. They're my family. And so any of those races with those girls, like Ruth Winder, Taylor Wiles, I mean, some studs that just finished the Olympics. Um, so just, it's memorable. Those, those are all the highs. Those are all the best. Um, one of the worst, but one of my most favorite was Redlands, my very first time. Amber Neben was current world champion. She brings me on as a guest rider. I get time cut the first day, Chris. How embarrassing. She had invited me to be on the team. I get time cut. I don't even make it the next three days. And she's one of the nicest people to say, look, you know, this is your first time. Give it a, you know, don't give up. And from, from the lowest of lows, like I cried, I was embarrassed. I just, I couldn't believe it that I got time cut to, you know, I'm trying to be a good teammate to the world champion. I already, I know what that means. And uh, I was pretty heartbroken. So that was a, a low day, but one that will forever stick with me. Um, and then just non-racing events, like your event is just badass. I, 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 I can't explain it. I mean, it just is like food, good food and good wine. Right. I mean, and then you get to ride your bike with cool guys like you, like really, like it's just, it's fun. The whole weekend is just fun. Um, I like to call it summer camp for adults. Yeah. And then my other favorite ride is the Nosco ride down in uh, Thousand Oaks that Jack Nosco is a good friend. Um, I stand behind that guy and I love him to death and I love what he does with that ride. Um, it brings like all the cycling community together and it just for such a really great cause. And yeah, it just, it's just a special day. So um, yeah, those are, those are kind of like, that's a lot, but there's, God, there's so much more. I well, it's, it's not easy. Like I don't, I don't expect you to pick one only. And, and I think because you've had so many great experiences, whether they be great or not, you've had these places, these moments, like, I know exactly what you're talking about with Flanders. Yeah. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about because one week's Flanders, the next week is Roubaix. So they, they camp out and then they just move oh. those campers down the street because it's not too far away, right? <laughs> not too far. And that, I think the thing about cycling in Europe from, I feel fortunate when I turned 45, I was able to go ride the Sportif. Um, yes. I got to go ride Perry roubaix Sportif and you know, I think cycling is truly the only sport left where you can be so close to the athletes. You can be right there. Yeah. And it is, there's nothing I've ever seen that I've, in any sport, unless you're paying exorbitant fees to be yeah. right there. Yeah. And that riding the course the day before and then standing on the course the next day yeah was a very eye-opening experience because like when i rode 
Perry Roubaix, I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. Wow. Um, I rode it with my friend Terry and it was rough. I mean, those <laughs> bikes are breaking. I mean, and like you just mentioned, it's everything from all walk of life, right? You've got, you have people on fixed gears, you have them on antique bikes, you have people on bikes that shouldn't even be there. There were wheels folding, there was like bars breaking, like things were just disintegrating on the first cobble section, not yeah. even later, right? But I think the thing that was exciting for us was that it was the day before and people were already camped out. So they're there yelling at us, riding, they're barbecuing already, they are smoking, they're drunk as all get up. Yeah. And they don't even want you to ride in the grass sector, so they're blocking it, so you have to ride the cobbles, right? And I think, yes. and, and it's so insane. So to go from that to then the next day, it's feverish. I've never seen anything like it. And I think your example of saying the Super Bowl and NASCAR combined, oh my God, it's beyond. Like, I've never seen that many people. And then, you know, we're at the entrance to uh, Ehrenberg Forest, right? Wow. There was a drag queen dance show. There was a guy selling sausages. There was a dude selling antique cards, like, cycling cards like yes. you know, but also like yes. they got all the kits and they got all the old stuff and then there's people just selling Ehrenberg Forest beer and you know <laughs> it's chaos right absolute chaos but to watch the Peloton roll by that day um I felt completely humbled just by the sound the ground shook. Yeah. It was like a fucking train went by. It's, it's and I don't think overload. And how many people watch this on television, right? And yell at the TV, go, 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 go. Yeah. No, they can't go anymore. And you have no idea how fucking fast they're actually going. Yeah. You stand right there. They are at full gas. There is no more gas. Yeah. They are flying i've never seen anything like it yeah and they've been doing that for 200k exactly that was the thing that blew me away like they came into Ehrenberg, and i was just like oh my god and then you know here's the breakaway and then you wait and you wait and then there's the peloton and you're like oh my god the breakaway's flying but the peloton's flying trying to i mean it you don't comprehend it until you stand there next to it or you've lived it like you have yeah and the power and the work that goes into being that fast it's big yeah and, and like you're saying um something else with this sport i was thinking just the other day is it's not like you can go to wrigley field the day before the game and hit balls no you know it's not like you can go to uh, candlestick park um my grandfather played for the first 49ers team so, like, it's not like you can go down to Candlestick Park, throw some football, and then watch the game later, right? You can't do that. But he, with cycling, you can. And like you said, there's no, there's no locker room. Um, so you have this access, this – they're very tangible, real, touchable people right there. Um, you can smell them. You can see them. You, the you don't want to smell them after the race. I've been, <laughs> I've been when they're on the way to the famous – locker rooms of Perry. Yeah. you don't want it they're they're miserable after the race oh yeah frankie yeah. then they they're rough 
He's but got you're right power. there. You get you're to see right him. there. They come right. I, I, it's it's a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. To see that sport and understand. I mean, and it's every sense. It's smell, sight, sound, touch. You get all that, like like you said, the the sausages grilling, the people drinking, the drag queen. You're hearing the music. You can hear the motos coming up. You know, it's just and the dust. And if it's and if it's dry, it's dust. And if it's wet, it's mud. But yeah. everything, and it's all encompassing. Yeah. There's nothing that can you can explain to anybody what that moment's like. And that's yeah. That's and I think again, you know, when people say, "How do you watch cycling? How do you watch NASCAR or baseball?" Well, it's way better in person. It's wait, just just go to a race. It's go to the velodrome and hear the track, hear the gears, hear you know, uh, hear the people yelling. It just gives you a whole other appreciation. Just it's it's a really powerful thing. So when, when you've been on all these travels, um, have there ever been really any great food memories that you've had? I mean, I'm sure there are. <laughs> Italy is an easy one. It's such an easy one. I mean, there, I've never had a bad meal there. Um, and when we were over there for a significant amount of time, my food memory is us having to go to the grocery stores, us having to go to the uh, fruit and vegetable stand. Um, everything's different. We're, we're all human beings. We're all doing it the same way. We, we need to eat. We need to shop for groceries. We need to eat and figure out how to cook it. But they, it's all done a little bit different in each country, which is really cool. So you're plopped down um, in Belgium. You go to the grocery store. You also have to go to the bread store, fresh bread every day. Oh my God. Um, and you have to bag your own groceries, you know, and it's such a, it just, again, eye-opening, uh, expanding my view, being around teammates from different countries and what they eat um, and trying new things and cooking new ways. And uh, it, that's my, my food memory is really just like going to the grocery store, going to the fruit stand and uh, seeing something different or, or trying something different and cooking with six people in the house that's yeah that that's my food memory or you know and then if we went out to eat in Italy it was just never a bad meal oh, kind of hard to have bad food there I mean you can you just got to search it out yeah yeah you gotta really look for it you know or like in Belgium get some frites with mayonnaise oh my god it's the best thing ever <laughs> I know, I know it's, it's shit it. food, but you no, got No, Belgium's I love it. I mean, when it, when we went over to do the Paris-Roubaix, yeah. we were in Belgium for a bunch of days and we rode Flanders two days before, you know, we got, I have pictures. I should send you those pictures. You die laughing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we went to the museum to go. Yes, and you can ride the bike over the cobbles. <laughs> Well, I didn't want to ride the bike because we rode our bikes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're good. And then I had to ride back. Plus, yeah. we rode the Coppenberg. Um, Sweet. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's it's the food there was delicious. It was yeah. really fun. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what makes that's part of to me. That's part of the adventure. You mm -hmm. know, the bike takes you along the road, and you know, when you came out, like I was like, "Hey, look, wild fennel. Hey, look, fresh bay leaves. Hey, look, there's this." That is one of my favorite parts about being on the bike is just the smell. 
Like I can smell the bay leaf. I can smell the lilacs. I can smell, you know, these things happening around us. Whereas in the car, you're going so fast, you miss those things. Yep, no doubt. Granted, yes, you do end up going fast on the bike, but I think you're able to appreciate the moment that you're in and where you are. Yes, it did smell a lot like cow poop over in Belgium most of the time though. I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, that is very true. I noticed that when it was there. How much Gouda cheese am I going to be eating? (laughs) A ton of it. Too much cheese over there. Or, uh, you know, it was towards the end of the trip when I was just basically spooning a spoon of whatever peanut butter I could find and a spoon of Nutella just straight from the jar. Just like, I don't care. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I'm ready to go home now. I'm going to go home. All I want is normal. What your your version of normal is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, no, it was cool. Like, again, uh, when else, uh, why else would I have eaten Vegemite or, you know, stuff like that? Just kangaroo, tried that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just Did you try horse when you were in Belgium? Yes. Yeah. A lot of yeah. the French fries, they use horse fat for French fries. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Cool. Fries are extra crispy. Is that why? Oh, is that why they're so good? <laughs> I'm See, sure I'll get some shit right for that later, but you know, <laughs> part of culture, right? It's like, it is. it's not my place to judge what people are doing and it's just a, right. it's a way of life. And I think that's what makes it really interesting to go all over the world and see things. Ah, that's cool. So huh. what do you see now moving forward? I mean, there's a lot of discussion right now about um, the change in cycling, what we're seeing. You know, I know that USA Cycling has brought on, you know, people like yourself. Uh, they brought in Reggie Miller. Um, really trying, Reggie's great, uh, trying to really broaden cycling to a bigger audience, um, not just from watching it, but participating, getting more participation in the sport, um, whether it be to go for a race or just to ride a bike. Right. What do you and see as that, new, as that new progression? I think it's great. Um, USA Cycling, we've started a campaign called Let's Ride and it gets kids on bikes. I'm pretty passionate about that. Again, just it's something you can do when you're six years old till you're 106 years old. It's the only sport that you can do that long in your life. It can take you to your best friend's house. It can get you your groceries. It can take you to work. Um, you know, so it's not just a athletic endeavor. Um, it can keep you out of trouble. You BMXers <laughs> jumping over each other and teach you a little humility of landing on each other. Um, so we've, we've started the less ride camp campaign. I really like that a lot. And then also like being there for the high school kids, having a high school national championship, just, um, you're a big fish in a small pond in Mississippi, come race against the kids in Colorado and expand that view and see what's out there. Um, I remember doing summer camps, uh, basketball camps and going to Louisiana tech. It was when the women's team was really badass then and just, I thought I was a hotshot basketball player in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And then you get Louisiana Tech summer camp and I just get my ass kicked all over the place. And this is like, that's what you need as a kid sometimes to just kind of keep you in line. So I think it's awesome. I think the more people that we can show that cycling is a sport and something that you can do, the less likely we're going to get run over. (laughs) Um, Hopefully kids won't be on their cell phones as much knowing Oh, I just met this person. They ride bikes and they taught me how to ride a bike. 
Um, you know, hopefully it can help with our obesity situation. Um, you know, again, being in Mississippi and also in child nutrition, it's just, it's, it's tough. Um, so, so many great reasons to ride a bike and I just, I love being a part of it. And the more people I can meet and help and teach, and it just makes me feel so good. I love it. Yeah. I mean, bicycles really are that first moment of freedom when you're a kid, it's the farthest you can get away from your parents, right? Yeah. On a bike, and I'm going farther than my parents can yell for me to come home. Yeah. Right? And I think that is really a powerful moment, right? Like a bike is that first moment that takes you away. You know. And and think about yeah, I mean, it, you were with your friends outside. You didn't know what time it was. You guys are being creative and creating these jumps. You're working on your your teamwork here by jumping each other and your compassion to, when you hurt somebody like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I missed that jump. You know, like we, so we all have to go home and tell our mom that we <laughs> crashed into you. Right, right. You have to own up for your mistakes, too. So it's such a it's like the sport that just teaches you all life skills. It does. It really does. I mean, I think there's there's so much to it. So yeah. I like to do a little, a little rapid fire answers, and then we'll just call it a night. No, but I got, a, I got a couple of questions for you too. So, okay. okay. All right, you go first. Well, I guess one question I want to know is, how many nines do you have in your house? Because I feel like every time you're on social media, you're like, "Thank you, so and so, for this new knife," and I'm like, "God, this guy must have like a kitchen full or something." Way too many. I know. I have. So to give you an idea, uh, in my garage, I have a Stanley drawer chest that's yes. full of knives that are custom oh. knives. Um, some I purchased in Japan, some I designed, um, you know, and then my friend's a knife maker. I have a couple friends that are knife makers that do different things. So uh, a friend of mine from, from high school uh, who's in the Coast Guard now makes knives, so he's doing things. And then there's a, a gentleman who just makes really beautiful butchery knives and cleavers. So I have knives from him. So it's just like this constant growing. It's yeah. like cookbooks, right? They just keep growing. And growing. <laughs> it's not like anybody's giving me bikes. <laughs> that needs to change. We, we need that to happen. No, it's okay. We need the bikes to start appearing at your house. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. All right. That's my one question. Okay. Ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Hamburger, hot dog. Hamburger. Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. American sauce. Wow, that's <laughs> two in a row. Wow. Okay. What? That's two people in a row that have said ketchup. I'm just not a ketchup guy. Okay. Uh, nigiri or sashimi? Sashimi. Sea urchin, caviar. What was the first one? Sea urchin sea or urchin. caviar? Sea urchin. Yeah, sea urchin. Okay. Pasta, noodles. Uh, I don't know. Pasta. Red or white? Red or white what? Wine. Oh, um, both. <laughs> I don't know. Huh? Chocolate or fruit? Chocolate. Okay. Milk or bitter? Oh, bitter, actually. Yeah. Everybody's got a different one, right? Uh, whiskey or tequila? Tequila. Easy peasy. I'm a tequila aficionado, actually. Really? 
I love it. Yeah. Just, just, uh, you know, not, you know, those days of shooting, whatever, those days are over, but just a nice, not mezcal. I don't want mezcal. Yeah. Just a good tequila. Yeah. yeah. Now, beer, do you like highbrow or do you like lowbrow? You know exactly. A good do you like a Henry beer or do you <laughs> want to drink a triple IPA? <laughs> Free and cold, whatever it is. <laughs> That's I'll it. drink it. I like that. Okay. That's it. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I want to, <laughs> I want to expand on some of those, but I, that's okay. I won't. It's fun. You know, it's just like, it, it's interesting because everybody has theirs. There's no right answers. There's no wrong answers, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, okay. One more question for you. Like, think about all those knives. Anything you've been intimidated to cook? Or like something in front of you and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, um, there's always something that I'm always like, I have to really, if I don't know what it is, I'll look it up. Like I've got all these books around me and if I can't figure it out, I'm gonna figure it out some way or another. In, I mean, I'm, more concerned about doing a disservice to the product than I am about um, being intimidated. I just don't wanna, you know, if it's like, uh, we grow things, we, we harvest animals for food. Like I hate when, when something's just poorly treated and I, I can't, I just do it not well, right? Like I think that to me is the biggest most egregious mistake anybody can ever make, whether it's like burn a piece of meat or, you know, improperly fillet the fish so that you leave so much of it on the bone that you can't really, you're not really. Uh, I think that for me is my biggest, biggest, but yeah, I mean, there's things out there that I've never seen before that I'm always learning from. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's certain things in the world I won't eat and there's very few. Um, I, I won't eat balut um it's pretty gnarly you can look at balut balut is a formed bird in an egg shell that's then fermented and you hard boil it and you peel it and eat it it's pretty gross they sometimes it is oh um there's natto that i won't eat which has um which is the fermented soybeans that are eaten in japan for breakfast i just can't deal with the, the <laughs> stringy yeah, they get stringy. It's like it's like it's like okra boogers, you know. Like, but I love okra. Oh I God. like okra, but I don't like natto. And then I don't like stinky tofu after fifteen days. It's a little too much for me. <laughs> the fermentation goes too far, and it and it's very acidic, and it burns. So you have a theme. It's yeah. It's, well, no, the the, but, the little bird and the egg yeah, with feathers yeah, on it is just yeah. way too much for me. Too way much too much. Yeah. Like I'm just like. Burr. Okay. The crunch, wow. the feather, and the tickle, and then no, not doing that. Okay. But there's always something that I can't figure out, and, and there's always a way to figure it out. It's just stop and think, and you know, like I've never been able to make bitter melon not bitter. <laughs> I mean, it's always bitter. I've tried. I've tried a million ways to make it work. You know, like I've looked at it, like I've looked at other things. So there's a lot of things I can learn. I mean, it's that's why I love this business because I'm forever learning about products and I'm forever learning about foods and how to work with them and how to handle them. And culturally, everybody has a different way of handling them. 
And I think that to me is, is what's really special about it. You know? That's a good point that every, yeah, I mean, chicken be, can be cooked so many different ways. I mean, not to say chicken, it was just the easy one. Cause I was just thinking I'd come back from culinary school and my, back to Mississippi and like, how do we fry chicken? And I'm like, I don't know. The French don't fry chicken. <laughs> Which is now they do, but they didn't. Yeah, cook, we didn't right? in school. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think that's a really good point. It's like, when you think about something like a poached chicken is really quite beautiful when it's done well, but it's not common in the States. People poach a chicken, then they pull it off the bone and make soup, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go to uh, Asia, you can have chicken with chicken fat rice and the bird is poached and then the fat rises to the top and they use that on the rice and they use the stock for the rice and then you get the broth on the side. So there's a technique for everything and I don't know them all and I'm always trying to learn from them. You know, it's like the Italians do crudo, Japanese do sashimi. So you can learn from the Japanese on how to use the applications for the Italian bird. So, so I, I cool. like there's always a way to learn and, and um, I'm far from where I should be. Um, and, and I feel like that every day it's just fun. Wow, for someone like you to say that you're, for, like, that's just, that's cool, man. That's just really cool. We're, we're yeah. anybody who thinks they know everything in this business is a fool. Gotcha, yeah. And I think that's, that's the moment when you really need to stop because I don't know everything. I'm far from knowing everything. That's what makes you such a cool person. I wouldn't say that. Just let you know that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you told me. Okay, okay, we're not gonna That's argue. why you're cool. We're gonna, we're gonna agree to disagree right now. <laughs> Stop. Oh my God, you can't take it. You're gonna take this compliment. <laughs> yes, you are, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, um, here, I'm gonna kick this off.